In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Scripture reads this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast and the premiere of the series, Jesus at the Center of Transformation. Over the next seven weeks, we'll explore seven miracles from the book of John, revealing who Jesus is and his healing power to transform lives. Our journey begins with Jesus's first miracle, turning water into wine. Join us as we dive into the miraculous encounters, discovering the profound impact of Jesus at the center of transformation. At the end of today's episode are details about the upcoming collective night of worship and this week's ministry spotlight, Pass It Forward. Get ready to be inspired and challenged as we uncover the heart of Jesus and his power to bring lasting change. Welcome to Jesus at the Center of Transformation. Here's Senior Pastor Brian Jones. Amen. Amen. Well, I have someone who's no stranger to our church. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, but why uh, I want Perry to share a little bit is we actually have some good news. Uh, if you've been at our church, if you're newer to our church, this you might not be aware, but uh, for those of you who call Brookwood home uh, for the last several years, you've been aware that uh, Perry has shared that his grandson, Graham, was born, and he was born about six weeks premature, and there were some things that were missed in this process. And as a result of that, there's been some kidney issues, kidney failure at some points, or almost kidney failure. So uh, uh, we've been praying as a church, uh, and you guys have been praying, and so uh, there is some good news. In the midst of this, God has made a way forward. And uh, Perry's son-in-law, who's a part of our church, Andrew, uh, has actually been approved to be a donor uh, for Graham, which is a praise God moment, which is awesome. And so... Uh, I shared this on the 30th, but there's just been so much of our church story the last few years has been praying and you've been sharing your heart on this. So I just figured uh, what better way for you to even share how we could pray for you guys in this season and maybe a little bit of what God's doing in this process. So uh, tell us how we can pray. Yes, please. Thank you. I, you know, it's, it's just been affirmed to me. I, I knew what a great people you were, deep in your faith and humble in your approach, sacrificial. And boy, it's been proven to, to us in these last three years. Graham just turned three years old. And so he's been uh, dialyzed uh, with peritoneal dialysis in the midsection every night of his life. Um, and so we've learned, you know, what it is to, to carry a little extra burden. And I don't, I don't mean to say that ours is as heavy as many of yours. So please forgive me if, if, if I sound that way. But I, I learned what it was to just be carrying a bit more. But, you know, we've prayed and, um, you, boy, you have been praying. So many of you have prayed for all of us, Graham, Evan, Andrew, even Leanne and me and the other grandparents on a daily basis. And you've, you've sent me notes. I receive prayer notes every week. Um, I'm stopped in the stores and asked about Graham, and you've just shown your love. So many of you have given in sacrificial ways. You've given financially. Some of you are still taking meals to my daughter. Um, and, you know, we've prayed for a miracle. We haven't seen that, but we've seen God's hand. 
and God is enough. We haven't seen that instantaneous healing as uh, Brian taught us last week. But God gave us enough. My wife is an RN, and my wife 20 years ago did peritoneal dialysis in this area as a, a, a traveling nurse. The other grandmother is a NICU nurse. So we've had sufficient help to be able to make it. And then our church has allowed me to really give more of my time and attention to the family and to Graham and supporting those needs because we also have a two-month-old little girl in that family too now. So Graham was approved in the fall to receive a kidney and we were praying about a donor and the, the closer match the better because a kidney can last decades with a close match. And um, many of you offered kidneys. Again, that shows what this church is like. And Andrew was tested and found out just last month that he is a match. He's the only blood type match in our family, but he's a close match. And so soon we, soon my grandson will receive a working kidney. And I think his life just opens up in so many ways. But, but you have, but, but Brian's generosity, this staff, this church, you have carried us. And, and we do know that. We, th we are thankful for it. Well, I'd love to just pray for the family uh, and just thank God even for the provision in this. If you would, would you just uh, reach out your hands as a way of just saying, hey, we're praying, we're lifting you up. And so I just love to pray God's uh, blessing, favor, and just miraculous process uh, and that his will would be done. So let me just pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for... Uh, God, just the way that you are even showing your fingerprints in this situation. So God, first of all, we just lift up the family. I pray for Perry and Leanne. I pray for strength. I pray for uh, God, uh, Evan and Andrew. I pray that you just even now prepare Andrew's body for uh, this transplant. God, I pray that you'd prepare Graham's body to supernaturally receive the kidney. And that God, I just pray even in this process that there would be so much of your hand that goes through the scheduling and the healing and the timing that, that it would be an only God moment. God, we thank you that, God, you are um, invested, that you care. God, even just to think the fact that heaven knows well the name of Graham because the amount of prayers that have been petitioned in your name. And so, God, I just pray uh, just a speedy recovery. I pray a process. But, God, we'd also be remiss, even though it wasn't the exact plan we wanted, we'd also be remiss if we didn't just say thank you for even providing another way medically. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that. And we pray that your hand would be all over this, that you would not be a part of this process. You'd be the center of this. And so, God, I thank you. I thank you even for this picture of prayer. I think about how many people have had their arms carried by Perry and his ministry in this 30 years. And now what a picture that this church gets to carry and lift up the arms of Perry and Leanne and Andrew and Evan and Graham. And so we thank you for that picture, Jesus. We love you. It's in your amazing, mighty, wonderful name we prayed. Everyone agreed and said amen. Hey. He'll try to sneak off. Hold on, hold on. Before you do your crap, I got to get on this side. Last time he walked off, and so I couldn't do it. If you have been uh, blessed by this man and his ministry, would you just join me in saying thank you?
Well, thanks again for praying. And, uh, you know, as we kick off, I just want to say I saw the power of prayer even this week. Um, I was in uh, Grand Rapids uh, last weekend, as, as JC mentioned. I was doing a camp that I've done for about 13 years. And, uh, you know, I, I got done. I was hanging out with middle school and high school kids. And uh, as I got done with that weekend, I was convinced of two things. Number one, I've never been more excited to be around adults again. So it is just it's a joy to be in your presence. And the second was this. Um, I just saw firsthand the power of prayer. Um, I might be young to some of you guys, but uh, to middle school kids, I guess I'm no longer hip and relevant, I'm learning. And so uh, I've been doing this camp for 13 years. And uh, this was probably the first time I really felt challenged in my spirit to pray like I have not prayed before. In fact, we have a prayer team here at our church, and I just asked them, would you pray? Just pray for God to move. I showed up the first night, and there was a hunger on Friday night that I'd not seen before I ever preached, did anything. And then on Saturday night, I shared the gospel. A lot of these kids have never been to church. If you speak about the Apostle Paul, they don't know who he is. They have no background. It's one of the reasons I love going to this camp. And so I went there, and on uh, Saturday night, I just gave a gospel presentation. And I usually don't even share stats because I'm a big believer in stories over stats. But I just have to say this because of the power of prayer. Uh, I gave the gospel, and 25% of that camp said yes to Jesus. 25% said yes to Jesus, which is just amazing. Over 150 kids just said, yes, I'm in. And I tell you this to say, this is probably the time I've connected least in my life with that age group, and yet it was the time the power of God was clearest on display. And I've said this to our church before. I believe this with every fiber of my being. Only God can move mountains, but prayer moves God. And so I just sense some of the things God's doing in our country and in our world. Yes, there are some things going on, but I just sense he's on the move. So thank you for praying. And uh, one of the things that, that I just, I really believe is, yes, I played a part, but Jesus is really the center of everything. And so we shared this, um, but one of the reasons I've been doing this series, Jesus at the Center, is what's been true of Brookwood that Perry has done so well, and I believe this deeply, is that the center of our church is not a pastor. At the center of our church is not a staff. At the center of our church is not a strategy. It is not a vision. It is not a brand. Those things are a part of it. But at the center of our church is one thing, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. Amen? And so I just say that because that's super important as we talk about even this series. I've been doing uh, Jesus at the center because I really want that to be ingrained. This is a church that is all about Jesus. And we believe there is one hero and Jesus is his name. And so we make a big deal about that. So today, what I want to do is continue in this theme, Jesus at the center. And today I'm looking at Jesus at the center of transformation. And uh, this is all going to be on the seven signs or the seven miracles that we see in the book of John. And so what's interesting is Jesus performs these signs. And listen to what it says in John 20, uh, verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so what's interesting about the, the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is when you read the Bible in English, you will see the word miracles there. That word miracle in Greek is most often tra translated dunamis, which is the idea of dynamite or power. John, whenever you read about miracles or signs, it's actually a different word that's used. It's actually this Greek word simeon, which is sign. 
And so what I want to do for the next seven weeks is talk about these signs that reveal who Jesus is, that reveal his power. When he was starting his ministry, this is what caused the disciples to really see him as the son of God. This is what prepared the way. And so these signs are really signs of transformation. And so I want you to see that. Think about it like this. If you're driving, one of the things you will see is a street sign will tell you where to go. A biblical sign will show you who to go to. So think about this. A street sign will point you in the direction you should go, but a biblical sign shows you who do you go to. And that's why we're doing this series, Jesus at the Center, because he, we believe he's the one that we go to. This is Jesus' first recorded miracle that we're going to be looking at today. It's in uh, John chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, um, and it's actually um, at a wedding where he turns water to wine. And if you have your programs, here's the first thing I want you to get as we look at this sign and we take away, what is this sign of transformation? What does it mean for us? Here's the first thing I want you to see that you can write down in your program. The world's way for joy is way different than Jesus' way. The world's way for joy is way different than Jesus' way. In fact, in your programs, it just says the world's way for joy. If you're writing that right next to it, the world's way for joy doesn't last. The world's way doesn't last. What's interesting is, is the title of today's message is really called The Great Reversal. Because what I want you to see is in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaks about there are sort of two ways to life and death. One is the world's way where it speaks about you, you live and then you die. But Jesus says whoever dies or surrenders their life, they will find life. And so what I want you to see is the world's way for joy does not last. It is the way of life to death. And what I mean by that is people won't use that verbiage. But if someone is trying to find joy in life outside of Jesus, they'll use different phrases. They'll say things like, you only live once. Life is short. Make the most of this thing. Do what you want. And you ever notice how some people will say, you know, one day you can get serious about other things, but right now just live. And so it's almost like the world's plan or prescription for joy is live and then one day die. The problem with that is the joys of this world, many of us know that, they don't last. In fact, I would just say that for many people, if you follow the world's plan or prescription for joy, what you actually find is people die on the inside long before they ever die on the outside, don't they? You find people that have so much of the world's stuff and yet they don't have this life that they're supposed to have. And so this is what I want you to see that Jesus does in this story that we can also miss. In John chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, it says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus said to his disciples, uh, Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to them, They have no more wine. Now, what's interesting is in the Bible, wine is almost always associated with joy and festivals, celebrations, and life. The Bible never speaks about joy associated with drunkenness. It is always about joy and life and celebration. In fact, you can almost read this like this. They have no more wine or they have no more joy. They have no more life. Because in that culture, wine was associated with celebration. And it's interesting, just side note, isn't it interesting that the way the world talks about wine is people will talk about, oh, it's been a busy week. 
And so I'm just going to have a little drink to take the edge off. See, that's about escape. The Bible always, you ever notice this? Every time alcohol or wine is mentioned in the Bible, it's always a festival. It's always joy. It's always celebration. Never is it used as a way of escaping. And so this is what the early writers would have, would have gotten, that it's always associated with joy. Wine is very common in those cultures. My wife and I have been to Italy. Um, I've been to Jerusalem. If you've been there, one of the things that was shocking to me is I ordered a soda and it was actually more expensive than wine because it's prevalent in that culture. It's a common drink in that day. Now, I do have to say this. Anytime you speak about alcohol or wine in a church, everyone gets a little squirmy. And you can kind of tell who you're dealing with, right? Like our church, I love it because there's so many people of different denominational backgrounds. And like you can tell who the non-denominational folks or the Presbyterians are when I speak about wine or alcohol. Because later on today, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper and some of you are like, let's bring out the real stuff. Let's party if you're Presbyterian. But Baptists, you don't even laugh at that joke. You just sit still. You're like, is he going to speak about the fact that water was way different and wine was way more watered down in that culture? Is he going to address this? No, I'm not. That's between you and Jesus, all right? In fact, one of the things I wanted to say just to draw out your uncomfortability. Uh, I saw a, uh, a meme for Valentine's Day that I thought was too good not to share with our church, but this is what it says. Roses are red, white wine is dry, but since we're both Baptists, we'll drink it, then lie. <laughs> Shots fired, huh? Coming out of the gate strong here. But what I want you to see is in the Bible, wine is always associated with joy and celebration. So notice this, the wine is no more. The joy has run out. And all of a sudden, Jesus' mom says something to him, and notice he responds in a way that none of us would respond to our mother, and he says, woman. <laughs> and if you don't think that, try that with your parents today and see how that goes. But the wine runs out, the joy doesn't last. And in essence, you ever notice this too? Like, all of us, even if you love Jesus, we have moments where, yes, we're on fire for Jesus, but we all have moments, if we're honest, where we resort back to the world's way for joy, don't we? Like we have ways or moments where it's like we're on fire for Jesus, but somewhere we just sort of get off path and we think that life and joy is found in the world's way. But you ever notice this? If you follow the world's path and plan, it's prescription for joy in life. You ever notice you need more of the same substance just to keep your joy level up? And so if your world's path for, for joy in life is success, you need more success just to keep your joy and life up. If it's recognition, you need more recognition just to keep that same level of joy and life up. If it's money, you need more money to keep that joy and that life up. And fast forward with whatever it is, the problem with the world's way is the stuff runs out. It doesn't last. It's almost like you can say it like this, a lot of stuff equals a little joy, but a little Jesus equals a lot of joy. And think about this, a, a lot of the stuff in the world, because the stuff in this world leaks, every time I get a new iPhone, I'm like, this is the greatest day ever. And then they release a new iPhone and I get sad by that. And it's like, you ever notice that just the stuff of this world, it fills you up, it does. And I think the church does a disservice if we act like the stuff of this world doesn't fill you up. The problem is it doesn't last. It's weak and it runs out. 
And so Jesus says, here's the problem. You can either try to live right now, make the most of what you want right now, but here's the problem with that. You're going to die on the inside a lot quicker than you ever will because you weren't made for that stuff. It doesn't last. The substance isn't strong enough. And so in essence, a lot of stuff equals a little joy, but a little Jesus will give you a whole lot of joy. You ever notice that with people? Like they have nothing by the world's standards and yet you look at them and they just have this joy and this life that transcends anything in their life that would make sense by the world's standards. You know, I was talking to one of our amazing trustees. They do such a good job just protecting and shepherding and guiding our church. Uh, when I first got here, I was talking to one of them, Jason Bergeron, who's part of our church and, and he didn't grow up in a, in a Christian family. He didn't really grow up following Jesus. And he said, you know, what was interesting is I came to church because I thought that my life was really good, but something felt like it was missing. And he said, I just came to Brookwood and it was like it all made sense and God just got a hold of his life. And in essence, what was he saying is there was something that had more substance. The stuff that I was following didn't last. You know, what's interesting is, you know that phrase that people will say, pain comes at the night, joy comes in the morning. You know that phrase? You ever notice how people who aren't even Christians say that phrase? Like pain comes in the night, joy comes in the morning. You know that's from the Bible. It's from Psalms 30. And so what's interesting, if you're going to take the world's path and prescription for joy, it's more like this. Pain comes at the night, joy comes in the morning, and then it's gone by lunchtime. You think that will sell many t-shirts? But it's true. If you follow the world's way, stuff leaks, you will have pain in the night, you'll have joy in the morning, but you will find by lunchtime you need more of that substance or that thing no longer satisfies. You know, I shared this before, and I know some of you will disagree, but it's okay, you can be wrong. Um, I was elated, and especially you, Doug, I know you're going to disagree with this. I was elated that we did not have another Tom Brady Super Bowl. Amen? Amen? Um, and then I got blessed with a Taylor Swift Super Bowl. <laughs> I was like, what is the deal? But you ever watch the Super Bowl? One of the things that I am always amazed is, if you're anything like me, I love to watch the end of the Super Bowl. And do you see the postures of the two different teams? Like one team is on cloud nine. And it's like the greatest day ever. The other team, like you can just see it. There's grown men crying. There's emotions. It's sadness. And I'll never forget, every time I watch those moments, it reminds me of what a Super Bowl winning coach, Tony Dungy, said. He won the Super Bowl, and he was asked this question the day after he won. He said, how do you feel? Or someone said, how do you feel? And I loved his response. He said, I feel the exact same as I did the day before the Super Bowl because I don't live my life for an event. I live my life for a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Don't you just love that? I'm just like, yeah. Thank you for clapping. I appreciate that right there. Come on. But you just think about this. And he goes on to say this. I love this. He said, for some people, they're going to wake up that have just won the Super Bowl. He said, they're going to wake up the next day. It'd be one of the most depressing days of their life. Because they thought getting to this event would bring some level of satisfaction. And then they wake up and they find they're still empty. And what is he saying? The same thing that Jesus said. You got two choices and that's it. One is try to make as much stuff in this life work, live right now, drink it all in, do whatever you want. But the problem is the stuff of this world does not last. But Jesus, in your programs, you'll see, is a different way. He offers a different way. Jesus' way for joy 
And if you're writing this down, just write this, fills you up. Jesus' way fills you up. Now, let me be really clear on something. If you've ever been sold a gospel where you don't die, you've never been told the true gospel. Jesus is, you ever think about this? From a marketing standpoint, Jesus was awful at his job. John chapter 6, like he's got crowds of people, and crowds never interest Jesus. He's only after disciples. So he's got these crowds of people, and then he says this phrase like, hey, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're never going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. I mean, Jesus just said things that offended people. Jesus was not interested in pleasing the crowds because he knew crowds were fickle. And so what he did was he was unapologetic. You have to die to yourself. Um, You have to surrender everything. Oh, yeah, by the way, you got to be crucified with me. I mean, this is direct stuff. And I fear sometimes in church to make it more palpable to people, we give them a half gospel. And we say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus wants to make your life better, and he does. But here's the deal. You have to die to yourself unapologetically, no options. There are no terms in surrender. It is die to yourself, die to your agenda, die to your rights, die to your future, but then you live. Now, if you only talk about death, you only give the half gospel. But if you, don't talk about, if you don't talk about life, then you only give the half gospel as well. You need both of these things. It is death to life. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But notice this. I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. Now, one of the things that when you read this story that you can miss or I can miss The people in the ancient Jewish culture would have picked up and they would have noted several things that make this story just so rich. And here's one of the things I want to show you. In verse 1, it starts off so simply. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana and Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now, one of the things that I want to draw attention to is just that phrase, on the third day. In ancient Jewish culture, and even today in Jewish culture, many people get married on the third day, which is considered Tuesday. Because in the creation account, people believe in Jewish culture, and again, even today, that the first day of creation was Sunday, the second day was Monday, and the third day was Tuesday. And so the reason people get married is when you look at the creation account, the third day, there was a double blessing given. That on the third day, God says that it was good twice. And so in essence, they think that that Tuesday is a double day of blessing or a double blessing. That's why we call it in America Taco Tuesdays. Amen? It's a double day of blessing. It's just God's provision to us. But isn't it interesting? Think about this. The day that Jesus shows up to perform his first miracle, he shows up on a day that would have been known as a double day of blessing. He shows up on a day where the purpose of that day was about creating new life. And it's almost like he's saying, hey, you think that's a blessing. You think this thing brings life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the blessing. I fill you up. Yes, you got to die to yourself. But I bring a life that you could never have an otherworldly kind of joy and freedom and life that does not come. And you notice this in verse 7. I know I skimmed over it, but I want to go back to this. You know what it says? When Jesus saw that the jars were empty, I love this. You ever pick up on this? It just says this. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled it to the brim. They just love it. They filled it to the brim. When you get, when Jesus gets a hold of your life, it's not a little joy. Like he fills you to the brim. 
you get a joy and a life that you just never thought possible. But the way that he goes about speaking about this joy in life is quite rich because I want to point out something in verse 6 and 7 that I missed. But notice this. It says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So again, they filled them to the brim. But notice this. Um, one of the things that was so interesting is, is that I thought for years Jesus just filled the empty wine jars. But he didn't do that. In fact, he left the empty wine jars empty. Because in many ways that symbolizes the ways of the world. But then he took something really odd. He took these ceremonial jars that everyone would have known what he's talking about, but we can miss in that culture. Now, there were several types of washing jars when you would go to the temple or you would go into someone's house. One of those jars was actually used to wipe the dust and the dirt that would get caked up. But this was not what a ceremonial washing jar was. And that culture... Remember, it was the Old Covenant. It was part of the Old Testament laws. The first sermon series I did here, I mentioned this love God, um, love people. There were 614 commandments in the Old Testament. One of those commandments was about being ceremonially clean when you went into the temple or someone else's house. So what you would do is when you would go into another person's house or the temple, you would literally go to this ceremonial jar you would put your hands in the water, you would wipe your hands dry, and it was a sign that you've been washed and set free from your sin and that you were not contaminating that person's house or the temple. And so every time you went to the temple, you would go to this ceremonial washing jar, you would dip your hands in that water, and it was a symbol that your sins have been washed away, that you have been set free, that there's no more guilt. You know, in culture, we'll say a phrase like, I'm washing my hands of that. That's where this concept came from. What's interesting, in Matthew 27, when Jesus is about to be crucified, if you remember, there was this uh, governor named Pontius Pilate. And what he does is he doesn't want to crucify Jesus. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. So if you remember what he does, he brings a, a criminal out, Barabbas, and then he lines up Jesus next to him and he says, hey, you get to pick who goes free. And who does the crowd pick? And do you remember what this leader Pontius Pilate does. He washes his hands. He goes to this ceremonial jar and he says in essence in Matthew 27, his blood is on your hands. And what's he doing? He's doing the same imagery of I am washing my hands of this. I'm not taking the guilt of this. I'm not taking the sin of this. I'm not taking the weight of this. So isn't it interesting that Jesus, as he performs this miracle, doesn't use empty wine jars. He uses this ceremonial washing jar, and here's what I believe. Why does he do that? Because those stone jars actually represent the old covenant. The stone jars represent the old way of doing things. It is the empty religion of man. And the wine actually represents the blood or the new covenant, the blood that has forgiven us. It is life in the spirit. And so in essence, think about what Jesus is doing. The mission of Jesus was to take the empty religion of man and turn it into a relationship that is filled to the brim with life because of the blood of Jesus. Think about that. He takes this old way of doing things. You know, listen, I I say this all the time, but we start with grace, but isn't it so easy to move back to religion? 
And you go, well, no, that's not me. Well, then why is it when I sin and when you sin, one of the last places I want to be is in church or the presence of God? Because somewhere we believe the lie that our performance, however good or bad, dictates how God feels about us. But in essence, what this shows us is that this empty religion of man doesn't work. And so Jesus enters the scene as he's performing this sign and he's showing a new way, life in the spirit where grace is given. And isn't it interesting that when you would go to the temple, you had to wash your hands all the time. One time Jesus has set us free and eternally cleansed us. And listen, I know some of you, some of you are great at sinning, all right? I'm great at sinning. But can I just encourage you with this? This reminds us that Jesus is a far better savior than you are sinner. And he's showing us right now that some of you are great like me at sinning, but he is even better. And he's taken this old way of doing things and he's bringing a new way of doing it. And isn't it interesting? Like Jesus doesn't bring out the grocery store brand wine at the end. Notice what it says in verse 10. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you save the best for last. And listen, this is not inviting drunkenness. What this is doing is showing with Jesus, he's better. His ways are better. His power is better. His life is better. The spirit is better. And what's interesting is think about this, just a small little tidbit. You know, it says that there were several jars uh, of this, um, or several... um, ceremonial jars, Uh, if you were to take those 20 or 30 gallons, that'd be the equivalent of 900 bottles of wine. So Jesus takes this and he fills it up and he fills it to overflowing. And so you see this, that Jesus' way is one where he fills you up after you die to yourself. The world's way is the way of joy that does not last. Let me just say this, um, because I think this is incredibly important. As we speak about miracles over these next seven weeks, I want to give you one principle that I think is going to be really helpful and maybe one of the most freeing parts of this sermon. I just want to say this. It's in your program. But Jesus is in the extraordinary and the ordinary moments. I want to show you something that just, you know, uh, was fascinating to me as I read this. But listen to what it says. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So so notice this. Everyone thinks when you first start following Jesus, you get all the miracles. You get all the glory. But what this shows us is his disciples still had some unbelief. They were following him when things didn't make sense. They had dropped their nets and they didn't get to experience all these extraordinary miracles because it says after he revealed his glory, the disciples began to believe him. So that means they had some doubt. They had some uncertainty. And sometimes when we follow Jesus, we make it out like if we're not seeing glory and power miracles, something's wrong. But those disciples had a whole lot of filling jars in what felt like ordinary moments. They had a whole lot of following Jesus around and going to wedding events. They had a whole lot of watching Jesus say some things that didn't quite make sense. They had a whole lot of just sitting and being with Jesus before they ever saw the miracles. So let me just say this very clearly. You were not made for miracles. You were made for Jesus. It just so happens when you get Jesus, you also get some of his miracles. Okay, so I just want to say this again. You you were not made for miracles. You were made for Jesus. It just so happens when you get Jesus, you get some of his miracles. Think about it like this. Some people will chase after miracles. But if you chase after Jesus, I believe in his kindness and goodness, you will always get some of his miracles. But if you chase after the miracles, you might get Jesus. 
the religious leaders of that day saw miracles and signs and did not believe. And can I just say this? There are so many people who've fallen away from the church because they prayed for a miraculous healing. And they prayed for something to go this way. Or they prayed for that. And when the miracle doesn't happen, they fall away entirely. And can I just encourage you, chase after Jesus and your faith will become unshakable. And I really believe in doing that, you will also see some miracles of God. He'll begin to open your eyes in some ways that you have never seen before. And so I just want to free you from this. Because some people, what the enemy does is he gets you to think, well, you're not praying right. You're not doing something right. You're not seeing miracles. You know, how many of you are just planners? You just love planning. And you plan every week, every month, you plan today, and you project and impose on all of us non-planners your schedules and agendas. Anybody like that? You ever notice, like, planners, and not even that, you ever notice how much pressure sometimes you put on yourself spending with God? Like, like you can spend time with God, and it's like, am I doing it right? Is this and that? And anybody will tell you that, yes, there's a beauty about planning moments, but anybody will tell you that some of the best moments in relationships and friendships are organic, ordinary moments that turn into extraordinary moments. It's moments where you're driving with a friend or a spouse and all of a sudden that, that song that you used to sing back in high school or that song that has all these memories is playing and you find yourself singing aloud and it brings up some memory. It was an ordinary moment. It was an organic moment that became extraordinary. It's a moment where you're hanging out with a, a grandkid or a kid or a niece or a nephew, and they do something or say something that this, the whole room erupts in laughter, and that space becomes a beautiful treasured space. It was an ordinary, organic moment that somehow became extraordinary. It's that moment that you're just hanging out with a friend, and all of a sudden someone shares something. And you know these are like, even in small groups, where you have no plans, and all of a sudden someone shares something that causes that, that moment that is on the surface to go deep. And there's like all of a sudden this holy moment in that space that was never planned for. Can I just say this? Most of my life, when I spend time with God, it feels very ordinary. It feels organic. But that space is what pays way for some of the most extraordinary moments in my life. And so what I've done that has transformed my faith is I no longer chase after the miracles or the glory. I just chase after Jesus. And sometimes in those ordinary moments, God shows up in an incredible way. Listen, I wish God would get on like a, a loudspeaker, you know, in the stores when they're trying to find someone. I wish God would be like, paging Brian, paging Brian. Today is the day of miracles. Today you're going to show up doubting and I'm going to show up in glory. Listen, there are some times when I'm doing my devotional, you get this from my temperament. Some of you go, oh, He's long. No, I'm just passionate, all right? And so I just, that was supposed to be funny. Thank you for not laughing. But here's the deal. There are times where I'm spending time with God and it's like he's pouring liquid fire into my soul. And there are other times where I am reading the same stinking sentence 20 times through just to get my mind in tune with the spirit. But here's the deal. Those ordinary organic moments have created some of the best moments with Jesus in my life. Stop putting so much pressure. Wake up, breathe. Some of the best time, I'm saying this sincerely, this is going to be freeing for some of you. This is going to be the only thing some of you remember. Instead of just waking up to spend time with God in your particular chair, in your garden, I love that. Just spend five minutes in the bed just thanking Jesus for his goodness. 
Just breathe, be with him, and watch what that ordinary organic moment will do in your life because that is what happens. Your daily pursuit of God will pave a way for miracles because you weren't just made for miracles. You were made for Jesus. It just so happens in his kindness when you get Jesus, you also get some of his miracles. And I want to encourage you with this. Stop trusting your feelings. Stop trusting your feelings. I love this. Pentecost. Does anybody know how many people after Jesus resurrected, how many people he showed up to? Someone said it. 500. Now here's the interesting thing. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus tells those 500, if you remember, don't leave the city. Keep meeting together. I'm going to give you the power of the Spirit. What he's really talking about is what we just preached on, the new covenant, life in the Spirit. So he tells them not to leave. He tells them to keep meeting. The day that Jesus shows up, he shows up to 500. Do you know how many were in church that day? Anybody have any clue? How much? 120. Now, one of you mathematicians, do the math there. How many missed out? 380. Listen, there will always be things that are going on. You think for those 380s, they probably had some great excuses. We got basketball tournaments. We got things happening. We got activities. We got grandparents coming in. Those 120, we always over-spiritualize it. Don't you think those 120, some of them had some kids that were just obnoxious that morning? Don't you think some of them had some fights? But those 120 did something that is one of the most important principles. They simply showed up. You never know what happens when each and every day you just show up. Those ordinary organic moments will pave a way for the Spirit of God to speak a word into your life that you never, ever imagined. So my encouragement to you is show up. Show up to church. Show up to your regular times with God. Don't put pressure, breathe. There will be moments that some days are great and other days you're fighting. That's completely fine. Just keep showing up. One of the things that we're going to give you today on the way out is this Jesus at the Center devotional. Um, Listen, I spend a lot of time writing these, not because I think I'm a great writer, just because I sincerely believe one of the most important things you can do is daily pursue Jesus. If this is helpful for you, use it. If you've got another plan, use it. My invitation to you is don't show up once a week and then wonder why you're spiritually starving. If you ate physically once a week, you would be starving. If you eat once a week on Sunday, you're going to be starving. So these are attempts to daily get you spending time with God in those ordinary organic moments that paved way to the extraordinary. This whole parable or this whole passage is on the fact that Jesus brings life. And as we close out, I want to do something simple. Um, I just thought this was a great way to close out with a reminder of what Jesus did. So um, you got a communion pack. If you don't have one, raise your hand. I'm just going to lead us through this and then we're going to close out uh, fairly quickly. But if you don't have one, raise your hand. Uh, We would love to give you one. But what I want to do is, as I close talking about the fact that Jesus fills us up, and that we pursue and chase after Jesus, I just want to take a moment to remind you why we do that. Funny, when Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper or communion, he talks about the fact that do this in remembrance of me. You ever notice that phrase, remembrance? Because he knows we're prone to forget. And so what I want you to do is first take out this little piece of bread that is a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken. I want you to think about this. Right before Jesus is crucified, in fact, hours before he's crucified, 
He takes this bread, which would have been a symbol of his body, that was broken. And I want you to think about this. We always talk about what we have to sacrifice or what we have to give to follow Jesus. But his body was broken. And he was crushed for you. And you ever notice this in church? We always talk about the love of God like it's a macro thing. Like, yes, God loves the church. and Yes, God loves Brookwood. That's true. But God loves you. And God loves you. And God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And he didn't die for the global church. He died for you. It's one thing to have a conceptual understanding of the love of God. It's another thing for it to penetrate so deep in your heart. So Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Yes, you have to die. But Jesus paid the ultimate price. Our price compared to what Jesus paid is small. And so you remember it's not out of obligation or duty or guilt you chase after Jesus. It's love. That he thought of you and he loved you and his body was crushed not for the global church but for you. Do you know that today? Jesus took this and he reminded his disciples and he reminds us, this is my body that was broken for you. Take and eat. Then Jesus did something where he took this cup of wine, which is a symbol of his blood that was going to be spilled. But it's also a symbol of what we just talked about, this new covenant, this grace that is given. So can I just ask you this question as we get ready to close out? But can I ask you this question? Is there anywhere in your life you're exhausted? Is there any place in your life you're just tired and you're carrying something in your own weight and before you take this cup, I want to remind you this. The gospel is not that you work for God. The gospel is that God is with you. What I find is sometimes my exhaustion comes from the fact that I'm trying to work out things of my own strength. This is a reminder that you've moved away from religion, which is performing and doing things in your own strength. The most central promise in the Bible is a reminder of this cup that God is with you. He's not just with you in this moment. He's with you with whatever it is that you carry. So what I want you to do for 30 seconds, what are you carrying in your own weight? Give that to God and ask him to be with you today. Take 30 seconds and then we'll close out. Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take, drink. As we close out today, I want to invite you. I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but on the way out, you can grab those devotionals. I encourage you, just spend time with God. And then also, if you need any prayer, we have a, we're a church that we've mentioned we love to pray. 
In fact, I believe prayer is some of our most important work. So if we can pray for you at the very end of the service, we invite you here on the way out. There's also a care center where you can go to. where We'd love to pray for you. But I just love to pray that God would continue to work and that you would sense that he is with you and that you would follow the ways of Jesus, which is all about life in the Spirit. So Father God, I thank you for my friends that are gathered here today. God, I just pray right now that you would help us lay down our lives so that we could find an otherworldly joy and life. God, we thank you that with you, you do fill us up to overflowing. So I pray for each and every person in this room. I pray that they would be drawn to you in new and fresh ways, and I pray that there would just be grace, grace, grace that abounds. No pressure, no performance, anything that's the old way of religion and working for you. God, I just pray that you would give us a vision of life with you, that when we wake up in the morning, it's life with you, and when we get the kids ready, it's life with you, and when we go to work, it's life with you, and when we come to church, it's life with you, that everything would be about the grace of spending life with you, God, and I believe that those ordinary moments, those organic moments will pave way to some extraordinary moments with you. So I pray that over my brothers and sisters as they pursue you. So God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of the life of the blood of Jesus. And so we say this in your amazing, mighty, wonderful name. Everyone agreed and said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We appreciate your presence and hope you found inspiration in today's message. Before we sign off, we want to highlight our ministry spotlight this week. Pass it forward. A wonderful opportunity to serve our Brookwood families using the skills and talents God has blessed you with. Whether you're a professional in plumbing, electrical work, carpentry, or simply willing to lend a helping hand, Pass It Forward welcomes individuals of all ages and skill levels. Learn more about how you can get involved at brookwoodchurch.org slash ministry spotlight. We also want to extend an invitation to our upcoming collective night of worship this Friday night, February 23rd, starting at 7 in the Brookwood Auditorium. This special event unites choirs and praise teams from various churches, including Fellowship Greenville, City Lights, Kingdom Life, Summit Church, and Brookwood Church, as we join our voices in praise to the name of Jesus. As you journey with us through our series, Jesus at the Center of Transformation, remember to explore the daily devotional companion available on the Brookwood Church app. Spend daily time with God and share these devotions with your friends and family through text, email, or social media. Once again, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to having you with us during our next episode. Until then, may God bless you abundantly.